Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome back to the Hard Run Box podcast for episode 19. We've been off for a couple of weeks, but we are back with a jam-packed episode of GPU recaps. We're talking about the 4070 Super, the 4070 Ti Super, and the RX 7600 XT. Lots of discussion about value, performance, new testing approaches, issues with some of these cards and their testing. So hope you all enjoy this one. Let's get into it. All right, Steve, I want the I want the explanation. We haven't done a podcast for two weeks. What happened? <laughs> I wasn't sure we'd ever actually get back to the podcast because it's a, a struggle to fit it in this week, to say the least. And we're probably yep. going to have to bail on the Q&As as well. Um, unfortunately, a few different moving things happening all at once that uh, have been bad for productivity. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, obviously the last two weeks I've been pretty sick. Uh, it would have been a struggle to do last week's podcast. Plus I had so much work. I was already struggling to get done. So yeah, yep, obviously getting, get, get, catching a, a flu type virus thing is definitely going to hurt productivity. And then yeah, this week we have um, multiple more reviews and new product releases and things that we have to cover. So that's keeping me busy. Also I'm having to do, it's like the old days from like two, <laughs> two years ago having to do all of the work, which is, yeah, I didn't realize uh, how much, well, I, I sort of did realize how much Balin was helping with editing videos and doing B-roll and all that, because I know I fully appreciate how long all of that stuff takes. Uh, but uh, just a week, well, Balin got sick when I got sick, so he was sort of, he he, he worked through it like I did, but he, he wasn't happy like myself. And then last week he went in for his surgery. So he had to have hip surgery. It's not a hip replacement, but a long medical illiterate version (laughs) is he was born with a bone defect on his hip. Um, uh, Like it's not round and smooth like it's meant to be. It has sort of a, a bit that juts out. And when placed under a lot of load, I guess downwards pressure and certain turns and maneuvers, it'll cut through the ligaments and do damage there. Uh, and 
that's what's happened basically uh he's been struggling with his hip for about three years uh, about three months ago he came in he could barely walk he had a sore back and i'm like mate you're, you're like 25 when i was 25 i could get hit i could get hit by a car and come to work the next day and be fine you know what i mean like i used to yep. play inline hockey and have like 120 kilo guys clean me up and you know it hurt but then the next day you sort of pick yourself up and you go and He'd done nothing and he could barely walk. I said, there's something wrong with you, mate. And he goes, oh, no, I've been dealing with this for a while. Anyway, I said to him, I said, you're not, you're not coming to work tomorrow. Go get a full body scan. So he went, saw the doctor, got a scan. Turns out there is actually a reason for why Balin can't walk properly. <laughs> so, <laughs> nice. So, so, yeah, a bit unfortunate, quite um, a bit of invasive surgery. He's in a lot of pain at the moment, um, recovering from it. Uh, it's like a six-week recovery. He's hoping to be back at work properly in about two weeks. We'll see how that goes. There's certainly no pressure on our end for him to get back to work. But also, Balin, please come back to work. It's killing me. <laughs> <laughs> no, so we we're hoping um, the surgery was successful. Uh, he uh, went into the hospital today. My wife actually is there with him now. She drove him in, um, and he's getting his stitches removed and that. And apparently, it's all looking good. It's 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 all healing and going according to plan. But there's still more weeks of pain ahead as he does heal up. So anyway, wishing Balin all the best on that one. Um, yeah, definitely. Both because we like Balin and because of um, <laughs> work-related reasons. <laughs> but no, 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 it'd be good good to have him back. For all of those reasons, I'm behind on work and struggling. The podcast has suffered because of it. So sorry to those of you who have been missing the podcast the last few weeks, but we've managed to squeeze one in and we should be right for the weeks following. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it does mean that there's been a few uh, GPU releases that we haven't been able to, mm-hmm. I don't know, give a recap, give some additional thoughts because, you know, whenever we make GPU reviews, it's kind of like we have our opinions, like we're sort of testing the products. We see what we think is going to, you know, happen. And then it comes to the release of the reviews and suddenly you see what everyone else is thinking. It's not just like other reviewers. It's like, what are people saying on like Reddit, YouTube comments? Are people buying the GPUs? Like when we say a GPU is good, are people actually going out and buying it or are they having sort of different opinions? So yeah, today we're going to go through the 4070 Super, the 4070 Ti Super and the 7600 XT, which are all things that we haven't been able to talk in depth about in the podcast uh, just yet. So I guess we'll start with the GPU that you reviewed first, which is the GeForce RTX 4070 Super. I think out of the three GPUs that we've published reviews on so far, that's probably the best of the three. Mm -hmm. Would you agree with that based on your testing and everything? Yeah, definitely. It's the most, it's given us the most, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Uh, So pretty easy. 7600 XT, while doubling the VRAM is nice and all that, the price premium associated with it, pretty hard to justify and wasn't really wrapped with that product to begin with. Whereas the original RTX 4070, while while we weren't shouting from the rooftop, rooftops how amazing that particular product was, it was $100 more than its predecessor. Performance was okay. 12 gigs of VRAM. Yeah, you, you were getting more VRAM, I suppose. It wasn't eight, but really it should have been a minimum of 16 at that price point. So, but relative to everything else we had gotten up until that point we were kind of like mm, okay you know this isn't terrible <laughs> and, yeah <laughs> uh, uh, well that doesn't sound hugely positive for a product review saying yeah this isn't terrible is actually like this is really good <laughs> for, in <laughs> gpu terms so 
Yeah. The, the 4070 Super was already, it, it's based on a product that we already thought was one of the stronger products in the current generation lineup. And by boosting the performance by as much as they did, uh, made it better. <laughs> what yeah. can I say? Pretty much. I mean, I think a lot of reviews had this sort of sentiment that this is what should have launched when they launched the original RTX 4070 and the same sort of sentiment for the 4070 Ti Super as well. So, I mean, it's hard to know whether NVIDIA was always planning on this being the sort of 4070 Super product that we'd be getting or whether they had looked at sort of sales volumes and interest in the original 40 series and were like, well, we need to do some corrections on that. It's hard to say because like Mm -hmm. a 30 series didn't get a super refresh. They added some TI models in later, but this generation has had more, you know, there's been a few TIs in in the series to begin with. So yeah, it's hard to know exactly what the justification, the reasoning is why they sort of went with this correction method. But I mean, it's good to see that they have sort of appeared to be listening to some of the concerns. And I think the 4072i Super as well, moving from 12 to 16 gigabytes is sort of them going, well, people weren't overly happy with 12 gig, so we'll give them 16 gig and and see how that shakes things up. Mm -hmm. But it seems like general sentiment from buyers is that, you know, while it's okay, it's not exactly flying off shelves or anything. It's not completely rejuvenated the GPU market or anything. It's very much like a product that's launched, it's released, people can see what it's offering and people are like, yeah, okay, maybe, maybe I'll get one. Maybe there'll be some time in a few months from now where I'm interested, but it's not like a RTX 3070 release or something where it it makes obvious sense for lots of people to go out and purchase. It's very much, you know, yeah, I guess just a a correction of people thinking, well, I guess that's what they should have launched to begin with, which... Mm -hmm. I guess is interesting. We'll see how that goes from you know a sales perspective across the next couple of weeks and months, whether it picks up or anything. Because yeah, right now it's not not exactly doing gangbusters. I think that's in, it's been interesting because we posted a a couple of polls on our community tab on Hardware Unboxed a couple of weeks ago. Actually, it was just earlier this week about um, the br- what were people thinking about the brand of, of AMD Radeon and NVIDIA GeForce? And on the GeForce poll, I've just been looking it up right now. So I was, I basically asked, you know, which of these statements fit best? And people could choose from NVIDIA has improved the GeForce brand, the brand has stayed the same, or NVIDIA has weakened the GeForce brand in this generation. And basically the same thing for AMD with RDNA 3. And 66% of respondents, this poll has 44,000 votes, said that NVIDIA has weakened the GeForce brand this generation. 23% said it stayed the same and 11% said they'd improved it. And you just go through the comments and it's everyone is saying that NVIDIA has hurt their brand because of pricing. Mm-hmm. It's pretty much every single person is like, the cards were fine, but they weren't priced appropriately. Or they did things like the 4080 12 gigabyte, which they then had to redo as the 4070 Ti and it still wasn't great. And then those sort of things have sort of been the sentiment. So I guess if they're coming from that starting point and they're only just fixing it with a new GPU, I guess it's not that surprising that the cards haven't flown off mm-hmm. the shelves. Yeah, at the same time, though, if you want a GPU or you, you're buying a GPU, there's nothing that's really better value at that price point. But mm-hmm. as you say, it's not that that's one thing. It's, it's servicing a market of need, but then it, there's also the enticing people to upgrade and and buy new hardware uh and and it doesn't do that yeah yeah that that's true and i think it's been interesting i went back and had a look at you know how the 4070 super compares to the rtx 3070 
because and I looked back at your RTX D70 review because basically I was like, okay, you know, I th- I was of the opinion that a lot that that card was a really good value product at five hundred dollars US when it launched, and in your review you basically. I don't know, delivered significant praise to the 3070, basically saying this is a, a great buy and then obviously people couldn't buy it. So I went and had a look and I was, you know, it comes out that the 4070 Super, it's about 50% faster and it's about 20% more expensive and it has released almost four years later. It's three and a half-ish years later um, than the RTX 3070. Well, actually, it's probably a bit less than three and a half years now that I think about it, but at least three years on, and I guess that brings up the question of like, is this a good value card in general? Like compared to, we stack up all the generations, it's a good value card or is it just good in the current market? And I'm not sure whether it being 50% better than a 3070 for 20% more three years later counts as just being really good value in general. That seems like sort of more an expected Mm-hmm. uplift i don't know where it lands specifically like should we have gotten that a year ago i don't know i don't know where it lands yeah i agree i think 50 percent faster for the same money um with the extra four gigabytes of vram probably good value it's certainly more towards the good value than mm-hmm. than otherwise but yeah it's been quite a uh a period of time as well accounting for the game we've got but yeah 50 is nothing to sneeze at if, i think if you've got a 3070 and you're looking for more performance a 50% uplift is good mm-hmm. uh, you'd kind of want it at $500 and, and I did like the value of the 3070 as you you said it got generally a positive review my only concern in that review that I really had for the 3070 was the fact that you were still only getting 8 gigabytes of VRAM at $500 which mm-hmm. at the time didn't seem that outrageous and you couldn't make too much noise about it because it just, it just didn't seem that outrageous at the time but it was something I was concerned about and then obviously we got the RX 6800 with twice as much VRAM. Uh, and again, I drew those comparisons saying that I think this product will age better because of it. And in my opinion, it certainly has. And then that brings you back to the sort of 12 gigabytes of this 4070 Super. Is that enough? I would say it's certainly enough for now, but then I know there are people who will sort of hit back at that and say they've already run out of VRAM on their card and stuff. And I think that's very much I think, at least based on the testing I've done, I think that's very much an edge case thing. Like you're not going mm-hmm. to be running out of VRAM regularly or it's going to be very rare and the workaround will be quite simple with probably no real noticeable downgrade to visual quality. So I don't think it's quite the big deal that some people may make it out to be, at least in my opinion. But also I fully acknowledge that 12 gigabytes of VRAM is, it's sort of, it's it's just enough now so mm-hmm. if you want to keep this card for two, three years, are you going to run into the same thing that RTX 3070 owners have run into? And I've heard from a lot of RTX 3070 owners that say that card is a pain in the butt to deal with these days because they're constantly having to dial down textures and mess around with settings and try and get new games to work, whereas 16 gigabyte cards, like what we saw, like, you know, you can use the Last of Us Part 1 example and call it unoptimized and all that. And sure, that definitely appeared to be the case. Uh, but you could play that game very well with with an RX 6800 from day one. I played it with a 6700 XT, something along those lines, and it played just fine with ultra quality settings at 1440p. No mm-hmm. dramas. 3070 was a complete mess and unusable. So having that extra VRAM where you can blame the game developers, it still allows you to enjoy unoptimized games in a sense. Not so that's necessarily like, you know, a good thing or, or, or a need, but games have to be very well optimized and very well made to work on those lower VRAM cards. And 
history will repeat itself, right? We're going to get two years down the track. Game will get launched. It's not really going to work that well on 12 gigabyte cards, kind of like, again, what we saw with um, Hogwarts Legacy. You're going to have to wait for it to be patched and optimized to work well on a 12 gigabyte card, whereas a 16 gigabyte card, as Jensen would say, it'll just work. Yeah, I think what we saw back with the 3070 was that there were some games around that time that were using like seven to eight gigabytes of memory. I think mm-hmm. of games like Watch Dogs Legion, I think mm-hmm. was released around that time. And that was, you know, if you were using the ultra quality settings with ray tracing, you know, eight gigabytes was like right on the edge with that GPU. And I don't think we're seeing as many examples with a 4070 Super with 12 gigabytes of VRAM where you sort of right on the edge. It, it seems like most games using quality settings that can run on that GPU, even with things like ray tracing enabled and, and so on, 12 gigabytes is mm. largely sufficient. Like there's probably, again, there's probably a few games where you can, you know, really punish it by using, you know, running it at 4K with frame gen, which uses more VRAM and ray tracing and everything. And it's like, mm-hmm. it probably would use more than 12 gigabytes, whether or not the game's, you know, you you should be running it at 4K on that card is another question. But yeah, it seems to be in a little bit of a better position. So I think it's not as much of a concern. But as you say, like, it's hard to know two or three years from from now wh- where that's going to be because I don't think either of us expected the, the 3070 to age in the way that it did, where sort of, there was a few games and then suddenly every game, not every game, but so, suddenly there's, there's a lot, lot more examples Yeah, yeah. Where, where it's becoming an issue. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, earlier I was doing some calculations and, you know, 50% more performance over three years equates to roughly 15% per year in terms of performance. And that is a little more than three years on from the 3070. So, you know, 15% per year, again, that's not even factoring in it being more expensive. So I think, yeah, it's sort of hard to say, is that card good or just good value right now? It's it's certainly one of the better products, and I, I think yeah, it would have been better if it was was five hundred dollars US. But it, but then again, like the current price that it, it's released at has put has made other cards in this price range a lot less attractive. So I think the RTX forty seventy you probably wouldn't consider that at five hundred and fifty dollars, and the seventy eight hundred XT it is now back down to five hundred dollars US. It's not the inflated price that it was for a little bit there. But even then, it's it's harder to justify those cards. And I think as you put in the review, it makes it, it kind of is the obvious choice around this sort of five to six hundred dollar price point. And if I had five hundred dollars to spend, I really would be trying to save up the extra hundred ish dollars uh, to get this product as opposed to like a seven eight hundred XT or I think forty seventies. I, I was just looking earlier; we're down around like five thirty best case. Yeah, but even then, it, it seems like it's it's a little bit better, right? Like it's just mm-hmm. a little bit like it's mm-hmm. just swaying me into purchasing it, I would think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think if it was genuinely a really good value product, we wouldn't, we probably wouldn't be asking the question, is it genuinely a good value product? I think that yeah. question kind of answers itself, right? People would be flocking to it, would be excited about it. Just like we were with the 3070 and the 3080 and the 600 mm-hmm. XT and those products, which unfortunately you couldn't buy because of cryptocurrency mining. But if it was a really exciting product, we'd be doing build guides and builds and you'd just be talking constantly. But instead, we're like, eh, you know, in the current market, it's about as good as it gets. It's pretty good. Probably what we should have got a year ago mm-hmm. at the very least. So I think that really answers that question. Yeah. And super serious products, like all mid cycle refresh type products, they always suffer from 
the it's not a new generation sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Like there's always heaps of excitement when it's like, oh, it's the new 40 series is coming out. It's a whole new generation. What have we got in store? Whereas when it's like, oh, it's just a super card. It doesn't like even if it was a really compelling product, it would probably suffer to some degree from that sort of lack of marketing and hype that surrounds a whole new generation. Let's move into the 4070 Ti Super because I wanted to talk about the MSI issues that you had with mm-hmm. the, the VBIOS on the card that you reviewed and mm-hmm. whether or not, I don't know whether you've gone back and tested the latest VBIOS or the mm-hmm. different models. How, how's that? It, it looked pretty frustrating seeing that section in the review. You're like, oh, you get the last minute thing. How did it all play out? Yeah, very annoying. So I have gone back and done a lot of retesting. There'll probably be a video up around the same time as this podcast that goes into a bit of detail there and explains a few things and shows the changes in performance and explains what I think's going on and corrects a couple of mistakes that I actually made in that video as well, which was frustrating because, yeah, I put, man, I put a lot of time and effort into that video, like re-updated all of our RT testing that mm-hmm. took ages, all the comparative data. Um, added a few new games to the the rasterization sample. So, yeah, sunk a lot of hours into that. Uh, and I was quite happy with what I had produced. And then just the day before when I was, and again, I, I don't have Balin, so there's a lot more work on my end, a lot of editing and stuff. And I was just getting into the editing stage of it. So we you know, done all the, the testing, the script work, the B-roll, uh, the recordings, all that was done. And I was now just putting the finishing touches on it and yeah, get the email from NVIDIA saying that the card's potentially underperforming by as much as 5%. And I really, at that point, I was working to the minute. Like I had no time to waste. <laughs> yeah. So I had to get this edit done because then you got to encode it, upload it, thumbnail, video script, the whole lot. And I, and I wanted to obviously make the deadline, but at the same time, we can't put out a review if the data is actually wrong. So mm-hmm. that was tough. So I had to drop everything I was doing and thankfully, I had the Asus Tough Gaming model on hand. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to chuck this in the test system. I'm going to start running um, the rasterized benchmarks at like 1440p just as sort of a, a reference point to see how far out is this data. Is it is it 5% out? Is it more? Is it less? What are we looking at here? So I ran through uh, the majority of our benchmarks and I'm like, okay, so this, this result here is you know 4% stronger that's annoying but this one's zero this one's one this one's no change and then i added it all up and it was like one percent faster overall which is kind of what you'd expect to see between aib cards anyway so based on that i thought you know what there's no way i'm pulling this video on one percent like that's just ridiculous i'll simply record a section now explaining what's happened and that i've validated some of our data and it appears to be very small differences and, and go ahead with the content. So that's what I did. Um, I've since gone back and done a proper full retest, um, you know, three run average for everything and looked into it and got all the proper data. Um, for the 12 game average for the rasterized performance, it is 2% faster on average at 1440p and 3% faster at 4K, which gets you to like the 7% faster than the 4072i at 1440p and like 9% at 4K which is pretty much what I think the review average is across various different outlets. Of course, there's no reference model 4070 Ti, so it depends on which 4070 Ti I use. And I'm actually using the Tough Gaming 4070 Ti, so that card probably clocks quite well. 
Uh, but yep. if you used a 4072 that you know was a few percent slower, then that's going to inflate the margins by a few percent. And then I saw 3% for the ray tracing benchmarks at 1440p. So at the end of the day, it didn't really change too much. Um, well, it really didn't change anything. We're talking about a couple of percent different uh, difference there, which means the cost per frame improved by 3%, which didn't actually move its standings at all. And uh, I think it was like 11% more expensive than like uh, the 700 XT. And now it's like 8% or something like that. So yeah, it's good to have accurate data. That's obviously what we want, but I don't think it would have been worth pulling the review because the recommendations we made are still the same recommendations. But mm-hmm. um, I, I will make an updated video about that because yeah, very frustrating situation. I think what's happened there is I suspect because I got the MSI Ventus model well in advance, which is why I use that. That was provided for the review. And I got it much earlier than I got the Gigabyte and Asus models. So usually I try to sort of reward um, companies by using their product if they give us plenty of time in advance because it makes our job easier, right? Well, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it should. Well, <laughs> it, it <laughs> maybe should. not in this circumstance, but <laughs> yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. Occasionally it comes back to bite you on the backside. But anyway, I thought you know what MSI, you know, they they got this organized for us ahead of time. We'll use the MSI card. And I think what's happened is. There was potentially a specification change. Either either MSI got it wrong or there was a late change. Uh, I suspect to the power limits, like the TDP, mm-hmm. because if you change the TDP of the card slightly, you will still get the cores clocking. Like it'll be reported to be clocking at the same frequency as another product, despite being a few percent slower, because it's shutting off some of the cores within the SMU. It's gating some of them. So I mm-hmm. think it's doing that to fit within the power budget. So not all cores were active during the heavier workloads, which is why you get a small reduction in performance. It'd only be a small difference, which is why we got a small difference. But I think it's probably a power limit issue. And they, and really when they set the power limits for these products, it's not just because they're trying to... Well, it's because they're trying to achieve a certain level of performance, but they're trying to achieve a certain level of performance across all silicon. Yeah. And yep. I got official reports back, I can't say by who because it was sort of off the record but i got official reports back from a company that the msi ventus issue was a bit weird in their lab testing because they found some models were only well, some models were performing as expected some were one percent slower some were two percent slower and some were as much as five percent slower which to me again suggests a power limit issue because those differences are based on silicon quality when you undervolt you'll get various different results between silicon you know, variances mm-hmm. in silicon quality so it's likely that i got quite a good card because i was seeing a two to three percent difference not the full five percent that some other media outlets saw right uh, yeah yeah so so probably a, a decent model there uh but that's what i think's going on not that it really matters but um mm-hmm. probably initially they had a performance target in mind um they set a power limit and then they realized that there would be more variance than what they would like to see for stock performance because really they they want to see like a a maximum of like a percent here or there difference between various different cards running at the specification there's not a five percent difference so yeah. they found that due to silicon quality they'd have to increase the power budget a bit more to ensure that all products can hit that stock performance so that's my uh, guess as to what's going on there cannot be confirmed because there's no way msi or nvidia are officially telling me that information uh but ready Reading between the lines for the information, I did get that seems like probably the most plausible explanation for for what happened there. So there's nothing 
fundamentally wrong with the Ventus 3X. It's not a bad product. I've seen a lot of people you know, claiming online that it's another MSI bad product and it's it's fixable by a VBIOS update. Takes a matter, I think it's like 20 seconds, you download the executable from the MSI website, run that, it'll flash the graphics card, reset the system, and the performance is restored. I suspect mm-hmm. it just increases the power limits there. Um, and away you go. Anyway. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a little bit um, unfortunate with those sorts of reviews, but at least it's not a situation where it significantly changes the conclusion mm-hmm. of the review. It wasn't like an additional... 3% of performance is going to make it suddenly a card that's worth recommending. There's pretty much no scenario where that will ever have any significant impact on the conclusion because, as we sort of said, things like, oh, it's 5% faster, so it's basically the same. You know, Even if it, was, if it was 5%, you probably would have got a phone call from me and we would have gone over the data and seen what 5% means because that's, you know, anything 5% or less, I've always said I generally did deem a tie, mm-hmm. but that's a bit different to providing the actual results. Like I don't really want our results being out by as much as 5%. Like, no, of course. Yeah. 2% is like, you know, two to 3% less than ideal. But yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's the most margin of error. Like that's just the difference of using one AIB model versus another AIB model, typically speaking. But 5% is th- where I start to get a bit iffy. Look, if it was 10%, there's no way the, the video would have gone oh, out. Of course. Um, yeah. We would have been a day late. We would have had to scramble. It would have been a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, 10% is far too much. So I think it also depends on how close the other products that you're comparing it to is. Like if mm-hmm. the card is by itself like 25% faster than the 4070 Ti and also quite significantly faster than, say, the AMD GPU at the same price, and you know we're talking a difference between like 23% faster versus 27% faster. It gives a little bit more leeway, I would think, to having the results being out by a few percent if it's like it's so far ahead that it wouldn't have changed the conclusion significantly because you're going from it's much faster to it's much faster but now a little bit more, you know, a little bit more performant. I think the issue why you wouldn't want to see 5% or especially 10% with this type of product is that we were comparing it to a card that really should have only been about 10% faster. So if you're talking mm-hmm. about, you know, if it was 5 versus 10% faster, it does kind of change things a little bit because 5% faster is kind of a nothing burger. You're kind of like, eh, okay, well, they haven't really made a card that's all that impressive, whereas closer to 10% is more like, well, you know, it is 10% faster and it's got more VRAM, so that kind of changes things. But just mm-hmm. luckily, the, the margins only being 2 to 3% didn't really change the position versus the 4070 Ti or the 7900 XT all that much. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I guess you got a little bit lucky there. And to be fair, NVIDIA got lucky as well because it seems like a lot of the day one early reviews across the board were using the MSI model. Mm-hmm. A few people had used, you know, the ASUS model or Gigabyte model, I think Tech Power Up covered a couple of different models on day one so yeah you know those sort of things are frustrating for the companies as well we've seen it with i think there's been some amd gpus that have had last minute you know price or performance adjustments was it the 5600 xt that they changed something at the last minute and all cards need an update that's right 5600 xt was a a core clock uh thing so they they all needed Mm -hmm. um bias updates uh, and then the like the RX seventy six hundred that was slated to be released at three hundred dollars US. Um, obviously, mm-hmm. seeing where the RTX forty sixty was, they decided to discount it by thirty dollars. That was annoying. So they gave us like a last minute, just oh, we've decided to change the price. So yeah, frustrating things like that happen all the time. So it's not the first time we've had to to deal with this. I guess it just um, 
it stung a bit on this one because it was a big review. I poured. I, I decided, you know what? Um, for these higher end cards, we really do need to overhaul our ray tracing benchmarks. So I added more games, newer games. You know, Alan Wake Two. Uh, we got Ratchet and Clank in there. Um, I moved Avatar. Like I, I just the week before spent a day benchmarking Avatar to be in the twelve game average. So there's like you know sixteen GPUs, and then I deleted all that data and moved it to the ray tracing benchmarks. Um, so I had to only test a few extra cards, but then I had to replace it with some other game. And a lot of people wanted Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3, so that got added in. Um, yeah, a lot of work went into that that review, so I really wanted it to go a lot better than it did. So a bit of yeah. a bit of a, a kick uh, that, yeah, it, it didn't go as smoothly as... And, and part of that was my fault as well. Like I messed up the specs table on that video, which I've corrected in the upcoming video, which may or may not be live right now. Um, so not... Not uh, not just NVIDIA slash MSI's fault there. Like I did make an annoying mistake, but these things happen. Yeah, so I guess when it comes to the GPU itself, I thought even you know factoring in the small performance differences uh, between MSI and other models that the card probably didn't deliver as much of a performance uplift as, as I was expecting, which mm-hmm. means that even though you are getting an additional 16 gigabytes of memory, probably doesn't make it as much of a a must-buy as I was expecting. I think when I was covering the news of these product releases and I was sort of going through and looking at the products, I was kind of like, yeah, it's either going to be 4070 Super or the TI Super as to which of these is the most exciting product in terms of its uplift. I guess the 4080 Super com- comes, with, comes with quite a substantial price cut. So mm-hmm. that, that kind of makes it a, a little bit interesting. But the other two products were supposed to be having at least some sort of reasonable performance improvement and that didn't quite materialize to the level that NVIDIA suggested in their, in their briefing. The 4070 Super was pretty much bang on what NVIDIA had told us. The 4070 Ti Super seemed to be a little bit below that, even, again, even factoring in MSI differences. And I don't know what your opinion is, but I just, I mean, obviously I've seen your review to be fair, but I just I don't quite think that with that sort of performance uplift that going from 12 to 16 gigabytes is enough like a year later. Like really that... Yeah, I've seen a lot of comments from people saying things like, oh, reviewers were complaining about the 4070 Ti Super only having this spec and performance and then they did it a year later and they're still complaining about it. But I think the year later thing does make a big difference to these sorts of product reviews and releases. Like a year later, expectations are different. You're expecting a bit more performance, products to be a little bit better that year later, and as we were talking about with the 4070 Super, they're offering about 15% per year going from the 3070 to the 4070 Super, and you're not really getting that with the 4070 Ti Super. So I don't know where your opinion lies on that, but... <coughs> yeah, yeah. I, I agree. Um, also, they've discounted the Radeon competition by $150 in that time. I mean, it's not necessarily an official price cut, but they've yeah. been pretty regularly... It's effectively. Yeah. It's effectively. They're, they're, they're $750 or less, um, and they have been for a while. I mean, I know they fluctuate up and down, but AMD has officially said they're enabling their partners to make $750 cards for the foreseeable. So yep. it's like it's a, it's an unofficial price cut. They're, they're basically like saying, this will be a thing unless something unforeseen <laughs> happens. So we don't want to commit yeah. to it, but this is what we're aiming to make happen. Um. And yeah, I, I did see quite a few people complaining about, you know, you guys said 12 gigabytes of VRAM is not enough. Where are the examples of that? And I was like, well, hang on a minute. We never actually said 12 gigabytes of VRAM isn't enough for today's games. We said for those of you paying $800 US 
2023, now it's 2024, for a graphics card with only 12 gigabytes of VRAM, it, that's just not enough VRAM in 2023. Like, if you pay eight hundred dollars, you want a minimum of sixteen. Like, pretty much stand by that, right? That's you really want to future proof it, right? Yeah, it's not yeah. so much about what what it can do now. It's like you're paying eight hundred dollars US. It's a lot of money. You yeah. want that card to last for three, four, five years before your next upgrade. Yeah, which is what we were talking about earlier. We don't want a repeat of what we saw with the 3070, where it's sort of just enough now. There, the writing's on the wall. There, sort of. There are some examples you can point to, which means in two years it's going to be a problem. I don't think in two years, 16 gigabytes of VRAM is going to be a problem, but I think on a high-end card, 12 gigabytes, we will certainly start to see, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. certain we'll start to see examples. Again, I can't guarantee this, but and we didn't guarantee it. We were merely saying for $800, you should be getting more than 12 gigabytes of VRAM, and I stand by that. So now we're getting yeah. 16 gigabytes for, for $800 US, which is like, okay. I mean, yeah, that's what we were saying. You should have got that a year ago. So I don't know why you expect us to get super excited about it in 2024 when we were saying this time in 2023, that's what you should have got. <laughs> yeah, and I think you have a fair point about this. It's pretty likely that we'll see games starting to use up to this sort of 16 gigabyte level, at least more than 12 gigabytes, because as you showed in some of the ray tracing benchmarks, that tier of card can play titles like Alan Way 2 at maximum ray tracing. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you do have to use... DLSS to achieve decent enough frame rates, but it's running the latest high-end titles, like high-end visual titles at high-quality settings at reasonable resolutions, and it's likely over the course of that card's life that games are going to get more impressive and start using these features more. Like what's the next Alan Wake 2 type of game in a few years? There's a chance that, that you know the, the card will have enough performance to run the visuals but may not have enough VRAM if it was only 12 gigabytes. But again, that's just that's just a guess. We'll have to see how that how that will go in the future. But yeah, yeah. certainly well, I was it's say, what the card should have been. Yeah, and as the example I gave in the, I think it was the, I can't remember which review it was. It might have been the 4072 Super Review. It's all a blur now. But basically I said, if, if you get a 4 gigabyte RX 580, which was a super popular card, and you get the 8 gigabyte version, in today's games, the 8 gigabyte version is much more usable. And not just usable, it enables a much higher level of visual quality. Mm-hmm. And back when those two cards were released, it was like the 8 gigabyte model. It wasn't really clear that that was the one you should get. Like maybe save a bit of money on the 4 gigabyte card. And if you're going to keep it for you know, just a couple of years, then that was the right play because the, the whole demand on VRAM didn't move as quickly back then. But yeah, you can certainly see... I guess there's a there's a couple of like conflicting opinions or misconceptions with this. Like people think that first of all, if you put a lot of VRAM on a card like a 7600 XT, which I'm sure we'll talk about soon, that it can't use the VRAM because it's not powerful enough. the The memory bus width isn't wide enough. There's not enough bandwidth. But that's simply not true. Like you don't need yep. oodles of bandwidth and bus width to access more VRAM. So. Mm-hmm. Putting more VRAM on these cards definitely will make them more usable in the future. Sure, that like a, an RTX 4070 Ti is not going to be playing at 1440p or 4K using ultra quality settings in three years' time. You'll definitely have to start tuning the quality settings. But having the luxury of being able to max out the textures will have a very little to no impact on the actual performance of the GPU and a massive impact visually. So, yeah, I think I think that misconception comes from people thinking that 
or only looking at like preset testing. Like <laughs> they're looking at, oh, let's run the 47, or if, the better example, the 7600 XT. Let's run that at ultra settings. We're only getting, let's say, 30 or 40 FPS. Therefore, those quality settings that use the extra VRAM, you know, the, the extra VRAM is pointless because mm -hmm. it can't run ultra settings in general anyway. But realistically, people with the high VRAM card would be using medium settings, but then turning up the some of the individual settings, like for example, textures, to the maximum. Mm -hmm. So that again, it's like, yeah, sure, you're not going to be using ultra settings on that card for future titles, but you may be able to get away with medium settings plus some additional features. And these days, it's not just textures that use additional VRAM. For a card like the 4070 Ti, ray tracing is does use more VRAM. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's possible in the future that the 4070 Ti will be capable of, say, a slightly higher level of ray tracing settings, not because of the performance of the GPU, but because it can actually fit into the VRAM buffer. And same with things like frame generation, that also adds additional VRAM cost. So... If you want the to be able to use or at least have the flexibility to run the games how you want and tune and optimize them so that you're getting the best visual settings that you can get on that card, you do need the the level of VRAM that's achievable. And it's not just like, oh, I can't run ultra settings. It's, yeah, no, you might not be able to run th those settings specifically, but a very common thing for RX 580 owners would have been running the game on like low settings, but then you just crank all the the, the VRAM related things up to the maximum. Same with the game, games where there's CPU related settings. If you have a powerful enough CPU, even if your GPU is weak, you can turn up things like crowd density, uh, view distances, geometry, those sorts of things. Now, some of those settings do impact the GPU as well. But those are the sort of settings where if we were making an optimized settings guide, we'd almost always recommend people turn the textures way up, turn the geometry up if you have enough CPU and VRAM resources to do so. So yeah, I think that that misconception is based on sort of, I don't know, testing in a certain way. And certainly there are ways to that that wouldn't be the case in practice. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It, it, the misconceptions come about largely because reviewers use the presets for testing, which is done for a few different reasons. First of all, it's quick and convenient and it ensures in most games that you've got the same settings. There are other games where that can be a bit of a mess. Uh, it's also just an easy reference point. Like, you know, if, if you're using the built-in benchmark, we used Ultra at 1440p. So that's, yeah, yeah. There's, there's reasons for simplifying that. But I think a good video that would help with this misconception and just be really educational, interesting at the same time would be to take either a four gigabyte and an eight gigabyte, uh, whether it's an RX 580 or maybe even my favorite card, like a 6500 XT, um, or even a 5500 XT, maybe a better example. I think that was that was available in four and eight, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Take a four and eight gigabyte graphics card with the same GPU and then do exactly what you've suggested you would do. So uh, maybe select the medium preset um, and see how the four gigabyte card works with that. And then do the same on the eight gigabyte card and max out stuff like VRAM. And then it's less of a, you could still do the FPS comparison, but it's less about the FPS comparison and more about the visual comparison at comparative FPS numbers. Yep. So what, what, what card can this do? You know, what, what can this card do? And then what can this one do? And uh, yeah, you'll probably find with the eight gigabyte model that you'll get similar or better mm. performance with better image quality. And that gives you an idea of, you know, what we'll see between eight and 16 and 12 and 16 and, and, and so on into the future. 
One of the things I also wanted to talk about with your 4070 Ti Super Review and that you've touched on a little bit is the updated ray tracing testing and the sort of, I think this is the first time that you've used this approach and I thought it was pretty good, probably worth worth a bit of a discussion about was, first of all, expanding the number of ray tracing games, which I think, you know, we look on Reddit sometimes, we do see people saying like, you know, why have you tested that range of games specifically or haven't included this game, but also the move to... I believe with your 4070 Ti Super Review, you've now started to include DLSS and FSR in the benchmark charts, provided that the game isn't capable of 60 FPS. So, yeah, sort of what what inspired that that change, and is that how you're going to be testing ray tracing in these sort of GPUs moving forward? Yeah. So interesting that one. First of all, uh, the whole ray tracing thing. Still not really sure where we are with all of that in terms of like the audience, how many people are using it, how many people want mm. to play, like how many people in our audience are playing Alan Wake 2 with ray tracing on opposed to off. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to these questions. Like every time we do a ray tracing poll, the feedback comes back quite negative. And I was talking with another reviewer, an even larger channel than ours, but I won't name names just in case they don't want to go on the record with this. And we were talking about ray tracing benchmarks in these day one reviews, and and they do less ray tracing benchmarks than we do. And they're like, I guess we're looking to expand that, but at the same time, they're like, uh, how many people actually do care about ray tracing? I was a bit surprised by their opinion because it was even sort of harsher than mine. Uh, but they're like, every time we do a poll, every time we ask for user feedback, it's always like, probably wouldn't worth, you know, it's probably not worth enabling ray tracing just yet. The performance hits too much, the visual improvement's not enough. There's very few games where it can be justified. And this isn't my opinion, by the way. This is the opinion of this person's viewers when they do polls. I think it's fair to say, right, whenever we've done polls, we've got similar feedback. Probably worth doing an updated one. Um, I think think part of that is due to people who are using, you know, the majority of our audience are not people with 4090s. They're people with lower tier GPUs. And I think the people who have been using 2060s, 3060s, even like 3070s in those class of products, you know, they've turned it on. They're just like, this isn't pow- my card isn't powerful enough for this. So I think I think a lot of that that feedback has come from that perspective, which I imagine will shift as you know these GPUs do get more powerful. But you know, it, it's fair enough if someone's got a thirty seventy or a thirty sixty and they've turned on ray tracing, they're like, yeah. So I'm getting like thirty FPS now, and my VRAM is exceeded. So yeah, that wasn't worth turning on. This is a really really big problem with this whole ray tracing even upscaling discussion mm-hmm. because how use, and I know we've talked about this before, but how useful it is, how well it works, all of these things hinge massively on really the product. So upscaling, ray tracing, they're awesome. Get excited about them on your 4080, upcoming 4080 Super, RTX 4090, because your base frame rate's really high. You're playing at a high resolution, so therefore upscaling works really well because you're already at a relatively high base frame rate, things like frame generation tend to work well, or at least a lot better than they do uh, at lower end. So you're getting the best possible upscaling frame generation, ray tracing experience you can get, which makes sense, right? You're getting the best product. You've paid for it. You've paid for it. But then you filter down, like, you know, you start even getting to like 40, 70 super class products. And it's like, like Alan Wake 2, for example. So I've got the results here. The 4070 Super 
playing Alan Wake 2 at 1440p using the high quality preset, no ray tracing, no upscaling, just native 1440p, it only gets 67 FPS on average. Now, for me, I know Alan Wake 2 doesn't need a lot of frames, but you still look around and explore the world, which I've done. Mm-hmm. I've played Alan Wake 2. For me, Alan Wake 2 really needs to be played at 60 FPS. I'm I'm not paying $500 plus for a sub 60 FPS experience. And Alan Wake 2 is just an amazing looking game. So I don't want to compromise on the visuals either. I really want to enjoy the game as it's meant to be played with those high quality settings. So 67 FPS. If you enable ray tracing with DLSS quality, so you've got upscaling at 1440p, you're looking at 46 frames per second. That's maximum settings, is it? Like that's maximum, maximum ray tracing. That, yeah. that, that's maximum everything. So I know you can, you know, you could probably tune the ray tracing there. I don't. I, then we start getting into sort of complicated scenarios where like how much better is that than native and you know yeah of course because because we're talking about 46 fps there with upscaling so you could enable upscaling in the the non-rt benchmarks and get much more than 67 fps you're starting you'd be getting a high refresh rate experience at that point Mm -hmm. so it's like already there it's questionable then once you get down to like a a 16 gigabyte rtx 4060 ti all bets are off like that that card's getting 44 fps at 1440p without ray tracing so with ray tracing and upscaling and everything you're getting 30 fps Mm. i'm just not playing at 30 fps um 44 fps it's like okay i can look around and it's a bit jarring. I'm not loving it, but it's certainly better than 30, okay? <laughs> 44 yeah. FPS is much better than 30. Bigger number, better. Uh, but, but yeah, that's where these sort of ray tracing discussions get a bit, I don't know, you, you're treading yeah. to sort of muddy waters. They're like how it's, it's great to get excited about path tracing and Cyberpunk 2077 and the amazing experience at Alan Wake, but how many people are actually getting that? I think too many yeah, people attribute to what you see with a 4090 to a 4070 and a 4060. And yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think, as I was saying earlier, it is a lot of those opinions of people thinking ray tracing isn't worth it are based on people with the lower performance class of GPUs. And it gets very complicated, right? Because it goes beyond what you've just been saying because it then goes into not just, oh, let's play on the ultra settings and let's add additional ray tracing effects until we get to the level of performance that we're satisfied with. It then goes to, well, what about running on like a medium preset, but then we've turned on ray tracing effects. Oh, yeah, God. And then people, you know, some people being like, well, you know, I can technically run ray tracing on my 4060 because I'm using effectively the low preset, but then with like one ray tracing effect enabled. Which and then it looks becomes- worse, right? That, de- that definitely looks worse. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like, it, it becomes a big, a big, you know, discussion of you know, it's all subjective at that point, right? Like, mm. do I want a game on low settings with one ray tracing effect enabled, or do I want to go ultra with no ray tracing, or like, what level of performance am I satisfied with? And these are all discussions that we're having because these cards in general are not fast enough for ray tracing, right? Like, we wouldn't be sitting here being like, do we test low with one ray tracing setting or? no ray tracing or, you know, as you've used in the past, things like Cyberpunk with medium ray tracing settings. We wouldn't be testing those settings if GPUs like a 4070 can run those really well. Mm -hmm. We'd be cranking them up to like ultra ray tracing. But it becomes a point where like how useful is it to benchmark a 4070 in Cyberpunk's path tracing mode 
because they just can't run that experience very well. So you have to be sort of balanced. Like maybe people want to see 20 FPS in the charts. Like is that what people want to see? But I think most people want realistic sort of settings. And I think for reviews moving forward, it's going to be a situation, maybe the next generation will be much more powerful, right? But where the focus for lower tier cards is going to be ultra, you know, high to ultra settings without ray tracing, because realistically that's the sort of performance those cards are capable of. Then for the medium, you know, the mid-tier GPUs, you're going to start, you know, potentially going one step up with the ray tracing, like your Cyberpunk with medium ray tracing, you know, like turning on, you know, like a Jedi Survivor type game, you enable the little checkbox that says ray tracing, you see what it can do. And then with, yeah, the 4070 Ti Super, you're starting to introduce maximum ray tracing settings. You're looking at scaling and things like that because that sort of matches where the sort of classes that people would be expecting. And as someone that plays a lot of single-player games, to me, you know, as you were talking about with Alan Wake 2, I'm not wanting to compromise the visuals in that game to, to run at like 120 FPS. Like mm-hmm. I, I personally would much rather run closer to 60 FPS and enjoy the nice ray tracing visuals so, but you know, thirty FPS is kind of out of the question. I agree with you; it's not a good experience in that game. So, mm-hmm. so long as like, and this varies between people as well. So, when you're saying I want sixty FPS in my ray trace game, another person may say I'm fine with forty FPS in Alan mm-hmm. Wake Two with the ray tracing settings enabled. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, someone that plays a lot of ray tracing games, you know, it's it's really difficult because again, people are going to be influenced by the ray trace games where ray tracing doesn't really do anything, like. Even a game like Jedi Survivor, I'm not sure I could tell a significant difference between RT on or off in that specific game. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of games where there's very limited ray tracing settings, like just using RT shadows. I mean, how many times have we talked about like F1 22 or 23 or whatever, you turn mm-hmm. on ray tracing and it looks like virtually the same. Mm-hmm. But then you turn on Alan Wake 2 and it makes, at least in my opinion, a significant difference to the visuals. Cyberpunk path tracing, significant difference to the visuals. So... It's a really difficult topic to sort of pinpoint exactly, you know, should we be testing ultra across the board? Should we be testing medium across the board? Should we be saying that an F1 game should not be tested with ray tracing because the ray tracing is pointless and only using rasterized? Because I've seen complaints about that, like your um, average data looking across the ray tracing games will have like people saying, oh, well, the only games that matter are Cyberpunk and Alan Wake and I don't know, a few other games that utilize ray tracing to the fullest you know we can't be having resident evil 4 and f122 in those you know results because they skew the data because the ray tracing is pointless it's like should we as reviewers be making that call and sort of saying that's not a valid ray tracing result because the Mm -hmm. ray tracing doesn't do anything it it becomes you know this is a very complicated discussion but i think at least from as a single player gamer, I think the higher in the stack you go, the more the ray tracing should be cranked up as much as possible. And I think how you did the 4070 Ti Super review where you were testing things like Alan Wake 2 maximum ray tracing settings with upscaling, that's exactly how I'd be using that that card. Mm-hmm. Like I, I wouldn't be playing it at 120 FPS with no ray tracing with maximum upscaling so that it runs really well. I would definitely be running in the configuration that you showed. And I think that ends up producing the most relevant data for people. Yeah, well, that's taking all the feedback and all our experience with this into account. I thought, okay, I want at least 60 FPS. I think if you're paying $800 US, 60 FPS is the goal minimum. So I ran through all these games and I used the 4070 Ti Super as sort of the measuring stick 
for 60 FPS. So if it could, at 1440p, if it could achieve 60 FPS or greater without upscaling, I didn't enable upscaling. I just, I didn't use it. So, and that was, that was my preference to, to do these tests without upscaling. But then when you had an Alan Wake 2, uh, an Alan Wake 2 game where we were getting like 30 FPS or something like that, and I had to enable upscaling to get us to almost 60, then that's when I used it. So I think half of the games had upscaling, half of them didn't, which I'm not super comfortable with, but you know, we, Again, if we're showing a game at 30 FPS, no one's playing at 30 FPS. Well, very few people are probably going to spend $800 on a 4072 to play at 30 FPS. They're going to enable upscaling. So that's what I did. I think if it was at 1080p, I think for the lower end cards, I'm going to be less likely to use like quality upscaling at 1080p because it does look pretty garbage and we get a mm-hmm. really soft, blurry presentation. So that's a, a separate kettle of fish on that one. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's probably as good of a balancing act as you can get at the moment and probably is probably one of the better, uh, I guess I'm tooting my own horn here because I um, work for Hardware Unboxed, but it's probably one of the better approaches that I've seen to doing this testing because I've seen testing that enables DLSS and FSR across all the configurations for ray tracing. So no matter what the game is, it's always tested with those features enabled. I've seen people do it where there's no, none of that's been used and I've I think this mixed approach where you know, the, the ideal scenario would be testing all of these apples to apples, mm. no, no upscaling or the same upscaling that's been used. We've talked previously about how people got very upset when you used FSR for all GPUs because NVIDIA owners rightfully are saying things like, I would never use FSR on my GPU. And so I guess you've struck this sort of balance where as much as possible, you're trying to do apples to apples testing, like mm-hmm. any configuration where it's remotely playable in those sort of with those sort of settings, you've chosen not to use it. But then in the games where, yeah, okay, it's 30 FPS, it's not the data is not that usable or relevant to those buyers. You've sort of shown, well, you can also achieve this using upscaling, and you're getting 60 FPS because, of course, people who are getting 60 F, well, let's say you've tested the game, you're not using upscaling, you're getting 60 FPS. That's at least showing you that that's possible, but also you could obviously achieve more with upscaling so people can factor mm-hmm. that in. But yeah, like I've, it's kind of hard, right? Because I've never been all that keen on sort of those let's turn on path tracing and show 20 FPS examples because it's not that useful. Mm-hmm. But then I'm also, I, I, I'm sure you have a similar opinion, not super keen on the whole where you're kind of giving an advantage to AMD because FSR doesn't really look quite the same as DLSS, so that's always a challenge. But with the way that these games are sort of being, the way that they are at the moment, the way that the you know the high performance tiers are going, and the way that these settings you know the real how realistic it is to actually play with those settings enabled, I think that your approach is the best balance that you can kind of get at the moment mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. It, it, i sort of squirm a little bit because i'm like yeah i still don't really want to have the the fsr inflation it's almost like inflation in the charts is not ideal but i mean yeah, yeah you, you, there's there's no win there because there's no if, I, if i don't yeah. use dlss nvidia fanboy or nvidia fans or whatever you want to call them get very passionate and you know jump up and mm-hmm. down and get upset but it's like we're doing that because we think it's unfair on NVIDIA to, because we, we can't enable DLSS on a 4070 Ti, but then not enable upscaling on a 7900 XT. Like, you can't do that. So, yeah, no, it's not just about like appeasing fanboys, right? It's also trying to think about what's the, what's the right way to test these products. Mm-hmm. 
and you can you can certainly make a case to go multiple different ways like do you show the most apples to apples or do you show the most relevant scenarios for the users of those cards mm-hmm. like neither of those i would say are absolutely 100% correct especially if you're talking about a th- a situation where potentially apples to apples is giving 30 fps like th- that data is as i said not not overly useful so yeah i mean it, it's a tricky one because i think on the lower as you say the lower tier the lower configurations you go the less that approach is going to work because mm-hmm. you start getting into 1080p upscaling you know are people realistically going to be choosing to use like even just minimal levels of ray tracing on those cards it's, it's hard to say but for the higher tier cards, I think it was it's it's a good approach. It's sort of, as I said, a good balance. Mm-hmm. We'll see what people think of it if other GPUs. Well, are. That's what I'm going with for now. Obviously, there's a, still a few problems there because um, some games end up being CPU limited, even at 1440p. But it's like I that mm-hmm. you know that I can't do too much about that. Uh, and then there's also the thing where like you know Resident Evil uh, might be a bad game to include because it isn't you know, that great with the ray tracing, but then you're sort of opening yourself up to, well, then just how viable, how useful is ray tracing as a feature? Because if you're saying, oh, you can't use that game, can't use that one, you can't use that one, like NVIDIA has heavily pushed ray tracing into as many tiles as possible so they can go, look at our catalog. We have 300 games this year with, with ray tracing, but if only three of them, you're arguing like Alan Wake and, and Cyberpunk are worth enabling it, how much of a feature is this really? When you when you when you get down to it, you mm-hmm. kind of you know I mean like those people who are making those arguments are almost they're almost doing themselves a disservice if they're trying to use ray tracing because they want Nvidia to do better, but then they're saying most of these ray tracing titles are, are crap, fake ray tracing titles that don't really use ray tracing. Then you're you're buying an RTX forty whatever GPU for ray tracing for how many titles? Like yeah, if you got down into it how many titles is ray tracing actually useful in yeah i mean it's it, it's hard to say it's something that i've wanted to to look into for a little while now and other other projects have gotten in the way at times of that particular content but yeah like, I, mean, I, I, I don't know the answer like, yeah I, I don't know the answer either and i i think it's not necessarily up to reviewers to make that call anyway it's kind of it, you're showing the performance with the feature enabled and people can make a judgment call. You know, you're showing all the data, right? Like if people want to skew their information towards a cyberpunk or Alan Way 2 you know, performance testing, it's in the in the charts. People can look at it and be like, well, the NVIDIA GPU is 40, 50% faster. So that's why I'll make the call. But maybe there are people who as well are sort of looking at it more across a, a variety of tiles and going, well, you know, even though you know an F1 or Resident Evil game isn't using ray tracing all that significantly, I might still enable it anyway because I'm not interested in 200 FPS. I'm fine with 120 FPS or whatever, and I'll just enable ray tracing and call it a day. Um, and that's certainly, you know, I think when I played Resident Evil 4, I turned on ray tracing, even if it made no, like I, I didn't really look into the visual difference. I'm like, I've got enough FPS, I'll turn that feature on. So I'm sure that's how some gamers would do it. And there's plenty of mid-tier titles as well that I think are sort of forgotten in this. Like Avatar doesn't use path tracing, for example. It does use ray tracing. It looks pretty good you know uh hogwarts legacy isn't as performance intensive as you know alan wake still looks pretty good with its reflection effects and things like that and there there are games that there are plenty of examples where you know you're not getting maximum ray tracing experience but one effect may be a little bit improved and then yeah okay there's some games where shadows do nothing but 
I think it's good to get that balance across the variety of games that you show in those those charts. You don't necessarily want to just show all the games that only deliver maximum ray tracing. You're giving people a balance. They get they're getting the information. It's similar to like you know only including all high end visually impressive single player games versus a variety of games. You know including games like Call of Duty or Fortnite and things where you're targeting a whole different set of performance targets and quality settings. Like mm-hmm. it's still valid to include those games, even if you're not necessarily going to be running them on ultra, you may run them on low. They're still useful data points for people to have in those reviews. And ultimately the the viewer can make the decision about which of those games is most relevant and important to to what they're buying. So that's how I sort of see that. But yeah, I do want to look into it at some point to sort of see, you know, if we test 30 games what percentage of the you know the top tier ray tracing titles do ray tracing really well so mm-hmm. we'll yeah, get to that at really, some point that'd be good we'll, we'll wrap this one up with the 7600 xt which mm-hmm. is i don't know probably the least exciting of the gpus um it performed a little better than i was expecting being just okay. an overclock of the same i know amd sort of said that it would perform like this but I was a little bit surprised even in the announcement when they were sort of saying, well, the, the die configuration is the same, but we're getting, you know, however much, I think they said maybe like 10% more performance out of this exact same GPU die. And as we saw from your review, it did, didn't did quite hit 10%, but it did provide more performance. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah, that was at least something, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, obviously they did the overclock just so it wasn't um, like an RTX 4060 Ti situation where if the extra VRAM is not required, it's just the same. And because they've tacked mm-hmm. the XT on it, not wanted to call it a 7,616 gigabyte, mm-hmm. which would be a bit weird releasing that product a year later, but that's what they've done. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, it's just difficult to test because basically whenever you do need more VRAM, it is a much better product. And I think it'll be a much mm-hmm. better product. It's it's going to be the, what we talked about earlier, similar situation to like the RX 580, four gigabyte versus eight gigabyte. The eight gigabyte product is hands down world's better today and eventually the 16 gigabyte version of the 7600 xt will be much better as well but it's, it's going to be a while into the future and it's definitely not a it's definitely not a case where the vram's not usable it hasn't got enough bandwidth it hasn't got this it hasn't got that like that 16 gigabyte vram buffer is valid and effective and will be put to use eventually the question is how useful is it today for that class of gpu mm-hmm. and the truth is not terribly useful especially because this card isn't a ray tracing monster the complete opposite uh and yeah there aren't too many games with huge texture packs that will leverage that bigger buffer it's a really good product in the sense that it's just it's it's mismanaged so as i said in my review really what amd should have done is release the 7600 xt at maximum of 300 dollars, <laughs> preferably less yeah. but let, let's just go let's try and keep this within the within what's i didn't want to say reasonable but whatever you want to call it, whatever they're likely to do let's just say 7600 xt a year ago that's what the 7600 should have been should have been same performance with twice as much vram because at least there's there's something there to draw you towards that product over the RTX 4060. It's like, do you want the better ray tracing performance on a card that really isn't that good at ray tracing? Or do you want the guaranteed extra VRAM buffer, which will see the card age better and allow you to do more in mm. the future? I think a lot of people probably would go with the, um, the 7600 XT. 
Yeah, I think with these products, it's always up to the company to sort of price it in a position where you're thinking about the extra feature that they're offering. You know, do you go with that at that sort of price? And you want to make it so that, you know, generally speaking, you are incentivized to go with the car that offers you the additional feature. So, you know, when you're looking at something like 16 gigabytes of VRAM, yeah, it's not going to be useful in every single game today. So the pricing can't be too outrageous because then no one's going to buy it, right? If it's $100 more expensive, like the 4060 Ti 8 versus 16 gig cards were to begin with, it's priced so ludicrously that, you know, people are sort of looking at it and they're like, well, this isn't really giving me anything today and it's $100 more. So how much is, how much is it worth to me to spend $100 more now so that maybe a few years from now, it's a little bit better and a little bit more usable for me. A lot of people, I think, in that scenario were going, that's not worth it. And probably the 460 Ti in general is not worth it because the, the premium is so ridiculous to get that additional feature. And with the 7600 XC, I still think that like at, at $60 US more, it's not solving that problem for a lot of buyers. Like a lot of people are looking at the card, like it's, it is only... 270 versus $330, it is still a significant premium to be spending that extra $60. And there are people where, you know, they're, they're not going to be incentivized to be making that purchase just because they're not seeing into the future or they're not, they're not going to be thinking. I'm not saying that this is the right way to be thinking about purchasing a GPU, but if they're not getting something now, something significant now, and also there's a clear path into the future, and it's just, you know, if it was $20 more, for example, you'd obviously get the 16 gig card because it's, you know, it makes a lot of sense. It's a good price. You're getting a lot of, you know, you're just mitigating that extra longevity of the product by spending that little bit more. But at $60, it's like, I think AMD's been doing a fair bit of this with their product release. They're just not quite doing enough. Mm. Like every release is just not quite enough. Like even at the current pricing structure where it's 60, like the original card's $270 and the 7600 XT was going to be somewhat more expensive. If it was 30 or $40 more, it makes it a lot easier to justify getting the 16 gig card because it is a little bit faster now. You, you th it's only $30 to get you know much better guaranteed longevity. How relevant that will be is still questionable, but it's guaranteed to work better with higher VRAM requirements in the future, right? So that's the, I think, what was it? The RX 580 when it launched was like $200 versus $240, I believe, for the four gig versus eight gig models. $40 more, some people were making that value call back then that that made a lot of sense. You're talking today, like, again, it's like, it's just that little bit not enough. It's just yeah, I mean, a little bit less, it would have made a lot more sense. $60 WV RAM isn't too unreasonable. I think that's, I don't think that's the problem. I get what you're saying. I think the bigger problem is the fact that the base price where they're starting from was unattractive to begin with. Like, mm -hmm. We weren't sitting here saying, well, oh, the RX 7600, amazing, good value, entry-level product, must buy. Yeah, it was meant to be released at $300, which is laughable. Then they discounted it last minute to $270. At $270, we're like, eh, really? Like, to get excited about this, it's like $230 product maybe, mm -hmm. which would make a, a 16 gigabyte version like $300, which is sort of what we've been calling for. But it's just... It's uninspiring for a ton of different reasons. I mean, did you, did we even like the RTX 3060? Because that was $330, wasn't it? Same I think MSRP. So. It wasn't amazing. 
think that wasn't an amazing product. And this is like 15% faster. Yeah, it's got an extra four gigabytes of VRAM, but 12 gigabytes on the 3060 is perfectly acceptable. So did you say it's, it's like three and a half years? Man, it doesn't seem right. Is it really three and a half years since that product dropped? At least three I think years? the 3060 was a little bit later. So it's got to be about three years though, right? Yeah, I think it'd be, I mean, I can just have a look right now, but I think it's around three years, wouldn't it? Yeah, so if it's three years, you're effectively getting a 15% performance bump with probably similar quality ray tracing performance. Um, yeah, so the RTX 3060 was released on the on February 25, 2021. So it is indeed three, almost yeah. three years. Yeah. So let's just say three. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you're getting 15% more performance with a 6700 XT over a 3060 after three years for the same price. I mean, admittedly, you know, there was the cryptocurrency mining boom, and I'm not sure you could actually buy a 3060 for $330. Mm-hmm. But I mean, that's the MSRP. That's what the product was targeting. So had there then, not been, you know, had there not been the cryptocurrency boom, you would have got that product for that price, which is the point. Yeah, I mean, they're not... And this is another issue with AMD releases is that they're still not competing overly well with their older RDNA 2 generation products. Like the reason why the 7600 is not particularly attractive at $270 is because for as low as like $190, you can get the RX 6600 and then 6600 XT, 6650 XTs have been around that $230 to $250 mark for quite a while. So they effectively released the same product and it was more expensive and these cards, are, it's not like these cards have quickly sold out. It's not like they launched the 7600 XT and then within a couple of weeks or months, the 6600 XT was unavailable. Mm. There's still, there's heaps of stock today. Like it's, mm. it, it, they're not even inflated price. You can go buy 6600 for $190 right now. And you have been able to for over a year. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they can't, like, the fact that they're not super competing with, as you say, the 3060 from three years ago, it's very unimpressive relative to that product. They're not competing that well with the 6600 series products. They're not competing well with the 6700 XT because that card's faster and has, you know, forget the 3060, get the 6700 XT because it's faster and has 12 gigabytes of VRAM as well. Mm-hmm. Like, again, like the strategy, the strategy that they're going with doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to me. Like, are they sort of releasing these products that no one is really getting all that excited about so that they don't immediately destroy the RDNA 2 sales because there's still too many of them? Or are they just content with not selling very many GPUs and they're just sort of going around vaguely matching what NVIDIA does? It seems like there's been so many of these sort of missed opportunities where all they need to do really is like, it could even be like 5% more, 5 10% more and these products become much more attractive and they're just, I, I don't know, not doing that. Like 7,600 XT, $300, yeah, conversations are being made. At $330, it's like, okay, cool, let's move on. What's the next What's the next GPU sort of thing? Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's just a weird market at the moment. Like the incentive for people to rush out and buy something so low, mm-hmm. um, like you can go back to, you can go back almost a year now and 6700 XTs have been like $350 US. Like, yeah. Like, you're talking like, I'm looking here on PC Part Pick. You can go back 260 days ago. That's a lot of days ago. Yep. And you can buy one for 350 So, what's yep. making you want to rush out and buy one of these things for 330 
you could have got more performance for roughly the same price almost a year ago. Um, and I mean, I'm only looking at right. one particular model. I mean, I, I haven't looked at a whole heap of models. It's, it's possible it's that sounds, been It sounds than that. right, though. It sounds right for yeah. about 350 for a while. Mm -hmm. I think, I think this is, yeah. I've talked about this a few times. Is sort of the the incentive to upgrade. Like, what are you doing to change someone's mind? Because if someone hasn't bought a 6700 XT at this point, what are you doing to change that person's mind? You know, if someone is Let's say someone has been looking at the current market of eight gigabyte GPUs at this price point, and they specifically would go, want something with more VRAM at this price. Like that was the holdup for them. They're sort of going, I don't want eight gigabytes. I'm definitely going to buy something with more. The 12 gigabyte 6700 XT has solved that problem for those buyers. And it solved it for, as you say, 260 days or potentially more at a very similar price. So someone who's been wanting that level of performance didn't want a card with not enough VRAM, has had that option all the 3060 for quite a while now. So when a new card comes out, you have to change people's minds. You have to change the minds of people that were waiting because people that were waiting will just continue to wait if there's not a more attractive product to go with. So if they're releasing this card that doesn't really do anything for anyone and doesn't change people's minds, it's just going to sit on shelves. Like unless a 6700, unless they make a real push to get rid of that card from the market. And by that, I mean like, Let's say they cut it to $270 or something. They just flood them out the door. They change the minds of all the people until the stock has run out. And then the option is the 6600 XT or the 7600 XT with 16 gigabytes of memory. That's one way you can start, you know, changing people's mind. Maybe a new buyer comes to the market. Someone's looking to build a new PC. That's the option. But until that happens, like it makes no sense. Like at least the super GPUs are potentially changing the minds of a few buyers like someone that had around $500 to spend, they didn't think a 4070 or 7800 XT was doing quite enough for them. The 4070 Super is genuinely faster. So you're getting a little bit more for the same price. 4070 Ti Super, again, not great, but at least they're offering a little bit more performance. The VRAMs thing is, has been adjusted and changed. So maybe that's changing someone's mind. Maybe the, the VRAM issue changed someone's mind. The 4080 Super is going to do that as well. Someone that wasn't keen on spending $1,200 on a 4080 is now going to be able to get similar performance for $200 less, potentially changing someone's mind. What The 7600 XT, the 7600, even the 4060 to a large degree when that was released, it's just, it's not changing. And that's the issue with the low-end GPU market. They're entering mainstream well, GPU market for some time. That's right. And you say, so they're not wanting to make the 6700 XT or the 6700 really competitive because they're not wanting to axe all these RDNA2 GPUs. You've, how many RDNA 2 GPUs have they got to sell? Like, how many of them are still, how many 6700 XTs are still out there? Like, jump over to Newegg right now, and it's insane the amount of brand new models that are currently, there's two models that are out of stock, the Sapphire Pulse and the PowerColor Fighter, which are probably two of the cheaper models, which makes sense. But for $330, there's the ASRock Challenger. Uh, there's the a slightly different version of the challenge. Oh, that's actually probably just a different seller. So there's the challenger. There's the okay. There's the challenger pro for five dollars more. Um, for three forty, there's a different version of the challenger. Uh, then you've got the a speedster model from XFX for three fifty. So there's still quite a few models in that range. The rest of them are sort of five hundred dollars and more. So you can probably ignore those. But there's a good four models there. Um, with another mm -hmm. two that are out of stock. Uh, and those are just viable. like, 
That's the original 6700 release. Remember, they re-released that card as the 6750 XT. And again, if you go and have a look, they're a little bit more expensive. So you're looking at more like $370. But there's an XFX model, an ASRock model, a PowerColor model, an MSI model, all in stock for below $400 US. Mm, yep. So we're talking about that. there must be a lot of them. Like, got to be. Got to be. There, there's got to be. And like... I guess that part of this is why these companies have taken so long to release their lower tier cards. They've refreshed some of the lower tier cards now. At least AMD has done that. They're taking so long to do this because they don't want to just write off a whole bunch of this stock and and take what I'm guessing. Like I'm guessing a 6700 XT at $250 is selling it at a loss. I don't don't know what it has cost them to manufacture that, but Mm -hmm. it can't be a good value proposition for the company. But it comes to the point where you can't just keep having these cards stay in stock for a long time, releasing a new model to try and mitigate the stock from not being run out because then they're just like, what are they going to do with the 8600 series? Are they going to do this Mm. again? So then there's now three generations of cards that are all effectively the same because they keep releasing cards that are so unappealing (laughs) that people are just continuing to wait on it. So stock keeps building up and they keep having to do this tactic. Like, Uh, It's it's crazy that we're... A year on, in some instances, more than a year on, and we're still talking about these previous generation GPUs that are on the market. Yeah. And it's like, it is good that, you know, a 6700 XT was not always a $330 GPU. Like that card's MSRP was $480 from memory. So it has come down a lot. Things have adjusted. AMD has been generally on top of adjusting prices so that it makes sense. But, you know, it's... They've got to at least do something. And I I guess this is where it'll be very interesting to see what happens for future generation products because, yeah, something has got to change. And I think a lot of these discussions about, you know, low interest, people not really picking up like $600, 4070 supers and things, I think there's a lot of hangover in the GPU market from people that recently, especially during COVID years, spent a lot of money on a GPU. They did a big upgrade. They've they've Mm -hmm. bought something and probably cost them a lot more than it should have during that time and are now sort of sitting around and looking at things and being like you know well i spent a lot of money on my on my gpu right like there's just you know there's there's nothing here for me there's nothing here that's really changing that discussion all that much and especially if i just spent like a thousand dollars on a 3070 or something three years ago it's like oh you know i've invested a lot of money in this whole pc gaming thing and you know, just uh, I have to wait until something more appealing comes around. So that's the sort of market that we're in at the moment, and that's why mm-hmm. I think that yeah, people aren't being super incentivized by some of these products and things of you know they're, they're trying to balance a few too many things, in my opinion. But again, I'm not working at AMD, so I'm not someone that can sit here and just be like hundred percent absolutely they should slash the prices of these cards because who knows how much that would cost them to do that, but. Yeah, if they're only targeting like new PC builders, there's only so many new PC builders that you're sort of getting like people first into building their PC who you know, are not are not thinking of upgrading and have not been in the market for four or five years. They're just going, well, this is what it is today. So many people are upgraders that, yeah, if you're not up offering something mm-hmm. for upgrades, you're probably not going to be getting too many sales. So cool. All right, we'll take a break. We'll come back in a moment and talk about our very boring lives. Okay, Steve, we're back. It's been a couple of weeks since our last podcast, so surely you've been doing some interesting things or not-so-boring things in your life at the moment. What's been happening? 
Well, I've been sick for the last two weeks, which is why there's been no podcast. I've been dragging my feet and trying to get as much work done as I can. It's been very unenjoyable and that sucked. So I guess that could come under boring life stuff. Um, I'll tell you one story. I'll tell you one story. So it was about a week ago and I was halfway through this flu thing that was, you know, giving me headaches, making me drowsy, uh, sore throat. Um, they were pretty much the common flu symptom type things that I had with this particular one, which I got from Balin. So shout out to Balin. Thanks for bringing that to work, Balin. Um, anyway, I'd been either cooped up in the house, sleeping or out here benchmarking, trying to get all this day one review content done. So kind of a miserable way of going about it. Anyway, we had a, we had a nice afternoon and I said to my wife, you know what, I'm just going to go for a walk around the backyard. For those of you who don't know, I've got a five acre property. So it's quite a big backyard. It's on a hill. You know, I didn't have much energy, but I, I just needed to get outside some fresh air and go for a walk. So that's what I did. So I'm going for a walk around the backyard, quite enjoying myself, looking at the garden, seeing all the new growth on the plants and stuff. And I got right down the bottom, which is about 250 meters away from the house. And something sort of stung me on my belt. Like, you know, you on your belly where your belt goes. And I was like, right, oh, that's annoying. Yep. I sort of scratched it and then I waited and then it really like intensified and stung. So I scratched again and then it sort of went down then it stung a bit more and I had a, couldn't really, I, I didn't really look at it properly. I'm like, oh, that's annoying. Something's bitten me, whatever, move on. So um, by the time I got back into the house, it was stinging quite a bit, but I was just ignoring it. I said to my wife, oh, can you get the stingo? Something bit me in the garden. She's like, no worries. And she's gone to grab it. She's looked at me and she's like, I know what bit you. And I was like, oh, what bit me? And she's like, a very big bull ant. <laughs> I looked down <laughs> and this thing's just, ha- it's like at my knee, just going to town on my pants, like trying to just destroy them. And it was, right. it was, it was a big bull ant. Like it was like, I don't know, I would say almost two inches long. Like it was a monster. Like big Yeah, it's on like everything. one of the, the big Australian ants that we get around here, yeah, the big yeah, boys. The big, big units. So I flicked him off and dispatched of him quite quickly. And then we realized another two of them had fallen off me in the kitchen. So wow. we dealt with them. Then we quickly backtracked to make sure there was no other gigantic bull ants in the house. And these are there's only one spot in our garden we have these. So I knew, I knew where they were. I just didn't see them at the time. Anyway, dealt with that. That was all fine. And then I got the biggest welt right on my belt line and it was on fire. Like I was actually, I kept sweating in that one spot. It took about three days to go down and I swear it was more uncomfortable trying to sleep at night because of my one stupid bull ant bite than it was than having the flu. Those bites are painful. Those things seriously have power in their little mouth thing. Yeah, well, I know it's a built up toxin type thing as well. I've been bit before um, on the foot, only one other time my entire life, so... I've made it 40 years on this planet and I've only been bitten by a bull ant one other time. And then in one of my lows of lows, the week where I was struggling just to get by, I had the flu, felt like garbage. I managed to get bitten for a second time in my life. So mm-hmm. that was just awesome timing. <laughs> um, and yeah, honestly, at night, it was just on fire. Like I had to put an ice pack on it. It was it was wow. very annoying. Um, I, I, like I wouldn't say it was very painful. Like it didn't bother me in that sense. The pain levels were fine. It was just the heat and the itchiness that yeah. was more torturous than the pain, if you know what I mean. So, yep. uh, anyway, um, come to Australia, that, folks. We got lots of love stuff here, <laughs> lots of uh, interesting stuff here. You can get I bitten mean, by a big ant. I mean, I honestly, I prefer the wildlife we have than a lot of other countries. Like, 
you know, I survived my bull ant bite just fine. I'm not sure I would survive a bear attacking me or like mm-hmm. getting impaled by like a moose or something. Like there's really, True. there's really no animals in Australia that can kill you in that sense. Like a bear, like there's, what have we got? We've got like a dingo. Um, Snakes. I, no, no, but I like, I mean like. You mean like bo- getting hit I mean time. like bodily harm. Like, like torn uh, apart. Yeah, There's yeah, nothing like, that'll tear us apart except for, like, a great white if you're swimming in some areas. I guess, like, and maybe, like, an emu would be the closest. Not that, like, e- where, em- where are emus? Like, emus and cassowaries are pretty... Oh, and and kangaroos, it, I suppose, but... A kangaroo could kick you, and, yeah, cassowaries got that big bumpy head thing, and they're supposed yeah. to be very aggressive. I don't think emus are that aggressive. No, but they're the, li- big. the, they're the big, likelihood though. of running into those animals in most parts of Australia is very remote. And then when you do, them attacking you is probably even more remote. Yeah. Whereas there's certain types of the year where things like, you know, um, bears and whatever, probably I'm, fairly high probability they would attack you. And it, in like, any don't case, I'm not, I'm not an, an animal stuff. expert. I'm just saying, I don't want to fight a bear is what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. There's no Australian animals I'm aware of that will go through your bins and open up your car. And if you're in your car, we'll just like rip the door you. off. <laughs> just like <laughs> casually rip yeah. the door off. It's in. Like if you're in a 1v1 with a snake, especially mm-hmm. like any of the snakes we have here, you're likely to win. You just need a decent pair of trousers and some good boots. <laughs> like game yeah, over. Just but slap good, them away and stuff. And they're very good, scared of people. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, we see tiger snakes and and, de- and deadly snakes around here all the time. Not a problem. Like they just, they see you and they're like, nope. And they just head in the other direction as quick as possible. Yeah, um, and they're not like anacondas. Like some people think yeah. Australian snakes are like really big and fat. Like no. the deadliest ones are like small, thin, little piddly things yeah, with like yeah. the worst venom. But they just they just run away. Yeah, yeah. Like, and if you're if you were in a one v one arena with them, you would kill them effortlessly. Um, but yeah, a good pair of trousers isn't going to help you with a bear. Um, yeah, that's right. So, I think the the best indicator here in Australia is that we do not need animal proof bins. All yep. of our bins are just normal wheelie bins. We're not worrying about kangaroos coming down the street and opening them up. Like I see, I see kangaroos around here often. Like they're, they're around the area, but you see them and they're just like, okay, I get, not I guess, do uh, yeah. anything. Yeah. So prefer deadly toxins yeah. over something that can rip you limb to limb. Like, so that's true. How do we get this conversation? <laughs> <laughs> well, out at my place, I recently. I've been thinking about doing a bit more home automation type stuff. So uh-huh. a couple of weeks ago, I installed a weather station at my house um, so that I can, you know, track rainfall and temperatures and things like that at my you exact house. You are an old man already. I love it. So yeah, it's kind of old man behavior, isn't it? So I put <laughs> I put up in the garden on this pole and it's it's been going well so far. So step one was to just to get the data so I can use yep. it for for watering and things. But I've got yep. like soil sensors and all sorts of things. It's been, yeah, been interesting to track all this stuff. And Love it. Yeah, it's been surprisingly helpful. It, it tells me things like the UV index. So mm-hmm. it knows like, oh, I should probably put on sunscreen or not at this exact time and things like that. And You should put on sunscreen Whenever going outside, Tim, you, well, don't, need a, you don't need a weather station for that. It's if pretty it's much the, true. If it's the middle of winter and you're going outside, mate, just <laughs> SP50 cake that crap on. Yeah, I'm pretty look, pasty. I'm, I, I'm no better. I'm no better. So I'm not picking yeah. on you. I, I probably do need a, a sunscreen in most conditions. Um, but yeah, eventually <laughs> I want to have like automated like watering taps and stuff that will be like, okay. oh, if if there's been less than this amount of rain, then it will use water from my water tanks and just automatically water plants and stuff, especially like my veggies and fruit trees and stuff. So 
yeah, eventually I'll get around to doing the rest of that. That's probably like, you know, months and months in, in the mm-hmm. future, I'll get all that stuff installed. But yeah, the first step was getting this weather station. And yeah, it's been been relatively interesting to sort of see exactly what's been happening in the garden and and put some sensors around, some indoor sensors, outdoor sensors. I just love sensors. Sensors are great. <laughs> Tim's like, he's like, I like this new garden thing we're doing. I can see that tree's growing well. That looks good. But what I really need is some sensors to confirm this data that I'm visually seeing. Yeah, exactly right. It's like, do I really want to stick my finger into the soil all the time to see like how dry it is? No. And is that very easy to do? Of course it's very easy. It takes me no time at all. I could very easily do that. But instead, I could just spend hundreds of dollars on sensors and put them around the place and then I can save myself the minutes of time it would take me to mm-hmm. assess that. So, mm-hmm. No, I'm all for it. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, it's been good. Um, cool. Eventually, I'll yeah do some more of home automation type stuff and a, a lot of people are very into the sort of making everything automated. I'm not going to automate everything. I'll just try start with something very simple, get some, get some better watering things going because I wanted to install more like irrigation type things around the place just to make it a bit so I don't have to stand around with a watering hose and and just water things just have a pipe that does it all so yeah Mm -hmm. complementing that by automated turning on and off makes a lot of sense I think but we'll see how that goes apart from the vegetable patch we employed a different strategy we have no irrigation for all five acres despite having a five acre garden it's just all natives and it either survives yep. or it doesn't. <laughs> so, <laughs> that said, you get about twice the amount of rain per yeah, year yeah. Than, than I do. Yep. So I have to be a bit more careful with the whole mm-hmm. – um, but, I mean, like the, most of my garden is also natives or um, – Drought-tolerant type drought stuff. Drought-tolerant plants. So I don't need mm-hmm. to water – like gum trees obviously don't need watering and things like that. I just leave them. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, like the fruit trees and things, I want to maximize my yields and things like that. So if I've got an apricot tree, I've got a massive haul of apricots this year, and I think part of that was fertilizing and watering it properly. So if I can continue to do that, then, yeah, I think this year I got – I took about half of them off and I got about five kilos off it, which I thought was was pretty good from this relatively small tree. So I reckon there was probably about 10 kilos on the tree this year after zero the year before. So if I can get that, keep that going, then – I'll be pretty happy. So yeah, love the gardening stuff and that sort of thing. So that's, that's my exciting thing from from this week. And I think in the future I'll talk about I switched over my Threadripper system to AM5 recently for my editing. Okay. So I'll talk about that in a future podcast because that's probably a few things to go through with that sort of switch over. So yeah, I'm keen to hear about that because I did obviously a similar switch over many months ago now. So I'd love to hear your thoughts and what you've encountered. Yeah, the pros and cons of doing that. So I'll talk about that in the future, future episode, but we were jam-packed in this one with GPU content. So that's it for this one, I think. It's been a good episode. It's good to get back into doing the podcast. We really like having these chats and when you're sick and, you know, it's just me by myself. It gets a little sad, so it's good to get back on the, get back and have a chat. And, yeah, we'll be back next week, I think, to talk about the 4080 Super and a few other different things that we'll be, mm-hmm. be yeah, able to talk about to next talk week. About. Yep, that'd be good. Yeah, plenty of stuff. So, yeah. For everyone who isn't aware, probably people who've listened to the end of these podcasts know that you can get them as the audio version and the video version. So the video version on the Hard Run Box podcast YouTube channel. It's a separate YouTube channel. You can see our faces if you really want that experience. Not sure about that, but yeah. yeah. And then the audio versions, Spotify, Pocket Casts, RSS feeds, Apple Podcasts, all those usual places. And they do typically come out slightly earlier on the audio version. So yeah, thanks everyone who's listened to all of this one. Really appreciate your support and we'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.